Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Big City on a Hill. That song has been in my head. I don't know how many of you were at the Wednesday night open church meeting, but we sang that song. And as we came in this morning, it was one of those songs. I said, we have to play that song. And I hope it's in your head for the rest of the day, for the rest of this week. Do you really believe those words? Wonderful, beautiful, glorious, matchless in every way. Is he really matchless in every way? We sing the words. Pastor Tom had said it last week. He alluded to it. We sing all of these songs. But do we really, really, in the bottom of our hearts, believe those words that we just sang? Oh, Lord, I'm praying that you would really give us a new vision, a new spirit of revelation would break out in our hearts as to who you are, that you truly are wonderful, beautiful, glorious, and matchless in every single way. The world out there sometimes, they'll say things and try to disparage the gospel or who you were. Lord, I ask that you would open blind eyes to see that you are the matchless one, that you are the alpha, that you are the omega, that you are everything, and that they were created, all of us were created for a glorious relationship with you. Father, use us, your church. Lord, we know the church is not the four walls. We know it is us, a living organism. Father, empower us, inspire us. Lord, I come against right now the spirit of of lethargy, spiritual lethargy, uh, uh, just apathy, Father, that would try to take us out, even as, in, as we feel it right now, the oppressive spirit that is in the air. We come against the evil one and all of his tactics, and we come against the gates of hell this morning in the name of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. In his name, in his power, that's who we're coming with today. Oh, I am ready to roll today. I am ready to go. I'm excited to be here to preach. Two weeks ago, I wasn't because I preached a message that I had not prepared. I have a message I prepared today. Please turn that fan off so my message that I have prepared is not thrown all over the place. And then I really have to find a message. Just, you know what I mean? Kind of go with the flow. Well, if you look on the side screens there, this will be a two-part message that I'll be preaching. And the pastors, you know, in dialogue, us sitting down and talking We feel that this is a timely word for the church. It's a timely word in this hour. And it's a word for where we are going as a church in the future in January. And you'll hear more about that next week. And I may even pull Pastor Linda up on the spot. I'm telling her now so she can be ready. She's done that to me before. So I thought it would be nice. You know, right? It's not a bad idea. It's a pretty good idea. Turn the tables on you. But the, the title is Unleashed. Unleashed. I just love that word, what, what that word connotes. Like, right, you have like a dog, like the pastors, I don't, you, many of you have never met Harry before. And he's the kind of dog, when you put him on that leash, right, you walk him and then you take the leash off, he's out of his mind, right? You unleash him. I want to be a church. I want to be part of a church as one of your pastors, That we as the leaders here unleash you into your destiny together as a community. Do you want that? Some of you look like you don't want that. Come on. 
I woke up this morning, and it was interesting. It was beautiful. Hasn't it been a beautiful September? One of the more beautiful Septembers I can remember. Well, I sat there, and as just my, you know, I'm up at like, whatever, 4.30, and I get up out of bed. I got up a little late today, and I'm out of bed. Yeah, yeah, I'm not kidding. So isn't it that, listen, let me stop there for a second. I love to get up before the world gets up. Like here, really, seriously, when everyone here is sleeping, I want to be up. I want to beat you up. I think of that every single day. It's a little sick. It's a little twisted. You can pray for me. So there I am. I'm up this morning, right? Head is off the pillow. And I make my way out of the bedroom. And I'm downstairs. And I'm, I'm outside. And I just couldn't believe how beautiful it was. And I'm thinking about this message today. And I'm like, this is like almost, it's, it's like a Norman Rockwell kind of portrait. How many of you know Norman Rockwell pictures? Aren't they so beautiful? Isn't everything perfect? Right? Isn't everything perfect? Well, guess what? You're going to leave here today, and it's going to be about 70 degrees, a crisp, well, not really, it's the beginning of the fall season, but it's, it's an autumnal day out there. And you're going to go out there, and everything looks really good. It's going to get bad if you're a Jet fan when they lose another football game, but sorry, uh, I had to say that. You know, I jumped over to the Tampa, I'm on Tampa Bay now, they're 0-3. Remember I told you that? What? It's like, God, really, right? So I jump ship, I mean, the Jets, what are the Jets? They have two wins in three games, so this is like, it's terrible, it's comical, you can't make it up. Yes, I'm the problem, yes, I'm the problem. Anyway, I was, I was really thinking, and I said, it's wild, as beautiful as it looks outside, and as nice as everything may be, it's not really the state. We need new eyes to see what really is going on. You see, from the moment that your head hit that pillow last night to the moment that you woke up this morning, guess what? You're living in a battle. A battle for your hearts and a battle for your minds. And you may say, oh my gosh, are we going to talk about this again? Yeah, you know why? Because we as human beings forget a lot. I'm a teacher. I'm a high school teacher. I know you have to constantly go over material again and again so students get it. You're my students. And I don't want you to lose sight of what is real, of what is true, and what is important. And let me give you, let me put a quote up here. I don't have my little clicker. Scott, can you just hit that while I find this? I did find it, but that first slide. This is Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And if you don't know who that is, one of the greatest preachers, an English preacher from the 20th century. A spirit-filled preacher that led, did you, he was spirit-filled, led the, led the Westminster Chapel there in London for over 30 years. An amazing speaker. Okay, that's what he said. A man who does not understand the nature of the problem he is confronting is a man who is already doomed to failure. Christian people are like first-year college students. They think at first that every subject is quite simple. There is no difficulty Well, we know what is likely to happen to such when they face an examination. Don't worry, there won't be one today. The first thing you have to do is to understand the nature and character of your problem. So we have to realize that we are called in the Christian life to a battle, not to a life of ease, to a battle, to a warfare, to a wrestle, to a struggle. And I said two weeks ago, We are called to contend. We looked at the book of Jude, and Pastor Tom even preached last week. He finished up our series on big faith. Saints, we are called to be a people that strive and wrestle and do battle with the gates of hell. 
but we're so passive, so incredibly passive as Americans because we have everything that we could possibly want. We are the wealthiest people ever to grace this planet. We sit in padded seats with, with uh, perfectly controlled environments. It's 68 to 70 degrees in here. Everything is good for us in Western society. In America, well, I'm here to tell you, it's really not that we are in a battle for our lives and things are not truly as they seem. And the, the trumpet has been sounded time and time again, but it is time again to sound it, that we need to wake up to the spiritual realities that we are facing in this world and that there is an enemy that is on the prowl and he's looking to steal and to kill and destroy our families, our relationships, our health. He's looking to take us out of the picture. Why are we always on the defensive? Why as Christians are we always on the defensive? I have something from a text this morning that I am out of my mind about. Now you know, you can, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew 16. I'm going to open up something to you that I learned, I don't even know, some years ago. You know, I get it in reading some of the foremost Christian historians and scholars out there, I always tell you, I really do, I, I geek out on all of this stuff. But there is a story that is tethered to what this series is all about. And I want to give you a picture of a text that many of you have heard before, but I hope you have new eyes when you leave to see what it really means. You know what I really, no, this is what I really want though. I want us to be a people, and all I kept praying all week, all God kept putting in my spirit is, I want you to see who Jesus really is. Let's eradicate again this notion of there he is in the Miss America sash, and he's kind of just moving around for those three years when he's in ministry, and his hair is blowing in the wind as Hollywood, right, how they depict him in some of these movies. I want you to see the master teacher, the greatest teacher that has ever lived, the, the most brilliant man that has ever lived, the most courageous man that has ever lived. I want you to see him with his eyes. He's resolute, and he's looking to Jerusalem one day because he knows that's where things are going to happen, that he's going to give up his life on a cross. I want you to see who this man really is. You have to see who he is. And the story is going to show you a picture of that. But remember, friends, again, I have to reiterate this. We are living in a war. You woke up into a battle and bombs are flying. There is shrapnel all over the place. But we're so busy and we're running all different errands and we have to shop and we have to do homework for the kids. We have to make lunches for the kids. There are responsibilities, things at work. And the enemy is trying to keep us busy. Just take everybody out. If I can keep them busy doing all different kinds of things in a myriad of different ways, oh, I'll be successful. Remember, as we learn in C.S. Lewis in the screw tape letters, oh, he's not there with the red horns. He, he's more insidious He's more sneaky and he wants to stay in the backdrop. Oh, stay busy. It's okay. You're really busy. Oh, at some other time, you'll have time to pray. Oh, you'll have time down the road to read, your, read the word, but not right now. You know, there are other things that you need to do. We need to wake up. Wake up to the battle that we're in. And we need to put on the full armor of God. And we need to go to war.
You don't have to clap for that. That's okay. Let's get into the text. Are you ready? Did I tell you I'm out of my mind about this text? Did I tell you that yet? Can you feel it? Is the excitement palpable? Is it? Lie to me. Come on. All right, here we go. Matthew 16, starting in verses 13. We're going to go to 19. I have some other passages, but this is namely the text that I want to look at today. I'm going to build to a crescendo. I'm going to build to something. Stay with me. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. How many of you have heard this passage at some point in your Christian lives? Well, heard it, right? Okay, moving onward. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven." Oh, when I'm done, (laughs) when I'm done, the image that you have of Jesus, when I just read you this text, will be gone. Lord, I'm by the spirit of Lord, give us that picture. Father, show us who you truly are. This is why I love this Jesus. This is why he is my Jesus, because he does something that makes absolutely no sense In the eyes and the minds of 12 followers, they don't understand what's going on. And you're saying, well, tell me what's going on. Let me show you a map. Okay, two maps. I don't know how well you can see this. All right, right here is Caesarea Philippi. Guess what? You look in the Gospels. Do you know how many stories? Do you know how many things happen, right? So many great things you would think, right, would happen in this area that which you know nothing about. A lot of great things. No, there's not one miracle that really takes place, although... This is a place, if I was able to go back in time and look at some of the events in Jesus' life, this is one of maybe the top ten that I would want to go back to. Just what I read to you. So Caesarea Philippi is all the way up here. Now what do we know? Let's make this a little interactive. Where where was much of Jesus' earthly ministry? Where did it take place? What region? Yes, Galilee. All right, so the Galilean region, which is right here. Now, I'll give you another picture. Where's my other map? It's gone. It's gone. Oh, there it is. That was weird. I went the wrong way. I'm sorry. Okay. All right. If you can see this one, you can see uh, Jerusalem is far down there south. I mean, closer to the Dead Sea. The bottom line is, let me go to this one. You could see it better with the light. Yeah, I like this one better. All right. Galilee to Caesarea Philippi. You know how far it is? If you take notes. It's a 26-mile journey. 26 miles. Can you imagine the disciples when one day, you know, they're with Jesus, and he's like, hey, boys, time to go. We're going to go on a little adventure. Parents, you know, right? You get kids in the car, my four-year-old son, I get him in the car. Where are we We're going to, like, Delaware, right? We get in the car. I'm not even, I'm, like, on the expressway for 10 minutes. 10 minutes. It's like a six, six and a half hour drive. And Jameson's in the back seat. Are we almost there yet? Really? Are we almost? Really? 
right? Parents, have you been there before? And you keep going and you keep going. And that question, they're incessant and they just keep asking it over and over again. I picture the disciples like, is this a joke? Where the heck are you taking us, Jesus? Yeah, we're following you. Yeah, we love you. But this is a long journey. They don't know where they're going yet. Would you love that? So I see it looking into the text. I see it kind of shrouded in mystery. They don't know where Jesus, the master teacher, is looking to take them. Oh, but trust me, the master teacher knows exactly what he's doing. And so I have to show you some pictures of where he actually took them. I have never been there myself. Do you think I would like to go there at some point in my lifetime? Yes, I would love to. I hope all of us get to go there at some point in our lifetime. My wife wants to go to London, right? She wants to go to England. I want to go to Caesarea Philippi and see this, right? Mine is more on the spiritual end of things. Like, Chris, right? Where should she want to go? She should want to go where I want to go so that it could help me help you in understanding the text. What? <laughs> she said, you're done. <laughs> all right here is this place let me show you some pictures of where this text actually takes place oops there we go okay this is a uh, i'm going to show you another picture this is this is an incredible cave that you can visit today now here's a little history in the old testament how many of you are familiar with the god Baal? right worship the god Baal. yes okay Baal was one of the fertility gods. He was also known to be the god of the underworld or Hades. As I'm saying words, light bulbs should be popping off in your head, okay? This place, which you can go to today, this cave, was a very scary place. And people in the Old Testament, this is what they believed about this spot. They believed at this spot, this is actually where, and I should say this too, before 1800, 1800, in the middle of 1800s, there was a very big earthquake. There used to be water that would come out from there. This used to be one of the, ma- one of the main sources of water for the Jordan River, which is right next to it, right near it. And water would come out from this cave and supply water to the Jordan River. Well, guess what? People would go to this spot in the Old Testament before Jesus' day, and they would worship Baal because he was the god of the underworld, And he was a fertility god. Unbelievable degradation, debauchery took place. Things that I wouldn't even mention to you. Sexual activity that would take place at this place in Caesarea Philippi as a way of paying homage to this god Baal. Are you all with me? Okay. It was a scary place. They also thought that this was the place where gods would enter, not just Baal, but other gods would enter and exit the natural world, the earth. Nobody ever wanted to go inside that cave. It was a scary place, but you went there to worship Baal. Okay. Fast forward this. Here's another. Let me show you another picture here. Fast forward this to Jesus's day. All right. In Jesus' day, they worshipped another god here in Caesarea Philippi. The name of the Greek god was Pan. How many of you have ever heard that you remember Greek mythology, Pan? Some of you are saying, yes, you remember the name. That is where we actually get the name pandemonium, chaos. 
You see, Pan was another, he was the god of complete chaos and pandemonium. People would also go here and in Jesus' day and they would worship this god Pan. Now, I tried to get one of the pictures from Google that was close up. There are inscriptions today. There are pictures today in this big rock from, from 2,000 years ago where people have these inscriptions of all these other gods. I'm telling you about this one god, Pan, because it's very important. And Baal. So here are pictures. Let me give you, a, I'll show you two pictures. This is a picture of Baal, and this would be a picture of, of Pan. You've all seen Pan before, right? Like the goat guy. And, you know, it's really hard for me because I like goat milk. And I see pan, it kind of bothers me, right? Goats, they, they kind of do serve a purpose. But anyway, tangential, ridiculous. Okay. So you see here, you see a picture of Baal and then you see the picture of pan. The first century readers, anybody reading this text, anybody that was here that, that heard this, The disciples, when they're there, when they're brought to Caesarea Philippi, please understand this. They knew exactly what this place stood for. This place was as pagan as you could get anywhere in the world during that day. Let me say that again. This is an extremely pagan, secular place where unthinkable things would take place. Why would the master teacher take them on a 26-mile jaunt all the way up here to Caesarea Philippi? Why wouldn't he just tell them this somewhere else? Why, would he, why does he have to come to this place where there are no miracles? It's a pagan place. Why would he waste his time doing this? Oh, Jesus, you are incredible. It's not a song. I just kind of made that up. This place was also referred to as, put this in in the back of your mind, the rock of the gods. And there's an old old rabbinic saying, I love this, an ancient rabbinic saying, this is is it. When Messiah comes, the gates of Caesarea Philippi will collapse. Oh my, that's real history. But I don't, is the Bible real history? Ah, yeah, I I think it's real history. I think it is. You can, archaeological digs, Please, the historicity of the text, of the gospel, of the whole New Testament. It is indeed true. And I know there are some of us out there, are these stories really true? This really happened? Yes. I'm here to tell you this morning, this Bible, this inerrant word is indeed true. Every story that it says is true and it's applicable for your life and it's applicable for my life today. Don't be fooled by that. And so also... Caesarea Philippi, there was also a monument that was built to none other than, look at the first word, Caesar. Philip built a monument to Caesar. This place, there is emperor worship that is going on here, pagan practices, everything you could possibly imagine. And again, no other miracles. There haven't been crowds. Look at Jesus' life when he's out teaching, right? Aren't there throngs of people that are following him? He gets into a boat. There are throngs of people on the seashore. He heals Peter's mother-in-law. Throngs of people, the paralytic. You go on and on. There are throngs of people that want to get up and see him. There's nobody else here but the 12. Because he has a private lesson for them and he has a private lesson for us. And look what Peter's words are. Who Who do you say I am? When Jesus says that, right? What does he say? What does he say to Peter, right? 
Oh, Peter, when Peter says, oh, no, you're the living Christ, right? You're the Christ, I'm sorry, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Look what I just told you already about this place. There are all these wannabe gods here in Caesarea Philippi. There are all these dead gods in this area. How amazing Peter is, right? That already should be something that blows your mind, that Peter understood the gravity of where he was. He understood what Jesus was saying in the midst of all of these other gods that were there. No, 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 no. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus comes back, and I can imagine how the, the, the smile that was on his face and the passion that is in his heart. Blessed are you, Simon Peter. Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, he revealed this to you. And he has a lesson for the twelve, and he has a lesson for us as to who we are to be as his church, his bride. Because he's coming one day, friends. He's coming for a spotless bride. He's coming for a bride, a church. He's, He's coming for a people that will be warriors that will pick up their swords and get in the battle and realize every single day this is a war and we want to take our place and do our part. That's what's going on here in this text. Oh, I love this. And then he says, on, right, on this rock, should I put it back up for you so you can see it again? Bye, Pan. Bye, Bale. Did I go the wrong way again? Yeah, I think I did. No, I, I, I went the... Listen, I'm going to stop going the wrong way. You're just going to have to listen to me and look in your text. So what does he say to him? He says, on this rock, right? That phrase, just on this rock, what does that mean to us? And forests have been cut down to provide paper, right? But what does that actually mean? What does that mean for us? Protestant, the Protestant faith, what does that mean? On this rock, what does that mean? Tell me, what does that mean? I heard a lot of different things. What did, go ahead. What did, what did you say, John? You're my brother. You said something. Yeah. Steve, you said something? Revelation. Anybody else? What do you think this is? What is he saying? What is Jesus saying? On this rock. Foundation. Okay. On this what? Somebody said something over here? No? Okay. What? Big rock. Faith. On this faith. I will build my church. And for centuries, we have been talking about the statement and we have been talking about what Peter says here. And how funny is it when he uses this word rock, right? Don't we see rock in the Old Testament? Lord, you are my rock. You are my salvation. What does Paul say about Jesus? He says, you are indeed the living rock. Jesus has taken his disciples to Caesarea Philippi so that they can see the rock of the gods, a place that is full of spiritual confusion, a place that is full of sexual anarchy. That's where he takes them and he says, on this rock, I will build my church. And then what does he say? What's the last part? What will not prevail? The gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Oh, 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 oh how we have the wrong picture of what that actually means. You see, we have this picture, and tell me if this is what you think. You see this text, you hear these words, and you think the connotation is that we as the church are behind gates, and we're kind of like this, 
trying to keep the enemy out. And we're doing everything within our power. Just hold the walls. Stand your ground. Stand your ground. And we're behind, like, like, like we're behind in these little huddles. And we're hoping and praying that the enemy doesn't barge through those gates and come after us. Oh, friends, that is not the picture that Jesus is painting. That is not the picture for our lives. And I'm here to tell you this morning, you know what bothers me? And you may not agree, which is fine. We need to be careful with our little Christian subcultures where we want to sit back and we kind of come to church so we can hide. Or maybe we have Christian... I'm so, I went to a Christian high school. I went to a Christian college. I didn't graduate from there, but I went there for a while. I know there are people that go to these institutions to hide from what is outside there. And Jesus would say, according to this text, I know I'm right. He would say, according to this text... You better be careful because that's not what I'm looking for from you as a Christian. It's the exact opposite. What the, the gates of hell that they won't prevail. It's you know what? It's you, the church, are actually on the offensive. It's going to be an offensive onslaught where you are supposed to go after the enemy. You are supposed to take him down and he doesn't know what's going to hit him. And as I'm saying this right now, I know every single evil spirit, the enemy, and every single demon, they know that that's the truth and they don't want these words uttered. But we, as the people of of God, the church of God, we are to smash those walls down and go on the offensive. Are you sick of getting your head kicked in? You were never intended to be a passive, apathetic Christian that sat back and was scared of the enemy. Jesus says he has, he has been given the keys to the kingdom from his dad. And he's saying, listen, the power that I have is now going to be yours. And he looks at a ragtag group. He looks at 12 followers. And he says, guess what, boys? It's graduation day and I'm going to unleash you on the world. I don't care if you're unlearned. I don't care if you're not scholars. I don't care if you didn't go to seminary. I have a job to do for you. I have a mission for you. Will you pick up and accept the challenge? Do you see the fire in his eyes? Do you see the fire in the master teacher's eyes as he's saying these words? Oh, the God of the rocks, the rock. This is incredible what he's saying here. I love his word. It just comes to life like this, at least for me. There are people living in Caesarea Philippi that are enslaved by fear and ignorance and sin. And he's saying, listen, disciples, it is your graduation day. We, you as the followers, are going to be the ones to go out and you are going to tear down the gates of hell. Why do we always think that? Why are we always on the... That's all I keep hearing. And I, if you don't get anything else today, get that. Get this. We are not on the defensive. We were never, ever meant to be on the defensive. We were never, ever meant to stay in huddles. I'm a football guy, right? Imagine you go to a football game and the team just sat in the huddle the whole game. Oh, let's just sit in the huddle. Let's talk about the plays we're going to do. Wouldn't it be cool if we did this play? Let's draw. Wow, that would be great. What about this play? Oh, this would be great too. Hey, hold on. We, we're still busy. We're going to stay in our huddle. That's akin to what we're doing in our spiritual lives. We sit in here, and for many of us, we never even share our faith. We don't say anything about our faith. We come to church, which is great. I'm so proud of you that you're here this morning, but there's more. And there's a world of people out there 
that need to hear about this gospel. They need to hear about your life. Let your light shine so bright. So when others see your good works, he's going to be glorified. Will you let your light shine? Where is your Caesarea Philippi? Where is your Caesarea Philippi, your sphere of influence? Because when Jesus stands there and he says that to them in this depraved area, this pagan area, he's saying to us today, City on a Hill Community Church, 2013, where is your sphere of influence? There is a world out there that I want you to go after. And sin in all of its, in all of its darkness and all of the confusion out there, sexual, spiritual confusion, I am unleashing you into the community, into Middle Highland, into Ridge, into Corum, into all these places, wherever you work in your cubicle, whatever school that you're in, Jesus says, I'm unleashing you as one of my followers. It's time. No, it's time now. It's not time to wait anymore. It's time to actually believe what the Messiah said, the master teacher said. These words are for us today. They ring true. I had a situation this week. I'm going to embarrass her. And I told her I was going to embarrass her. Uh, How many of you did meet, meet at the poll? Maybe at your school? Students too included? See a couple of hands here? Don't raise those hands sheepishly. Raise those hands. Hi. Right, that's better. So I see a bunch of people. You did it. It, it, Great. Well, as many of you know, I I teach in Sable High School. Suzanne, where are you? Suzanne Suzanne and I teach in the same high school. So one of us said, hey, you know, let's meet at the poll on Wednesday, right? It wasn't the pastor. It was was the congregant. Yeah, it wasn't me. She said, hey, we need to meet at the poll. I'm like, all right, whatever. I'm game. I'm in. Let's do it. So it's Tuesday. Sends me the text, right, tomorrow, I'm going to meet. All right, I'll be there at 7 o'clock, 7.05. I'll meet you there. Get up, right, go to school. I'm there. I'm like, there was, listen, even as, I'm being honest with you, even as as a pastor or something, there was, my heart was beating so fast. I didn't know who was going to be there. I'm like, there may be like throngs of people that show up, other churches, right, in the community, other places. So we go outside and kids are starting to walk into school. And there we are together. And there are Zero people at the flagpole. Zero people at the flagpole. It's just she and I. And we sat at that flagpole, and it's one of those moments that we were texting about it all. I, I said, it's one of those moments that I'll never, ever forget. Because we sat there, and she, again, initiated and said, we have to pray right now. And kids are passing us, and they see us, and they're probably like, what the heck? Why is Mrs. Haas with Mr. Lecce standing at a flagpole? What the heck are these two doing? You know, really. But we stood there, and then she started to cry, and tears are streaming down her face. Because she said, I feel his pain. As all of these kids walked in, you see, that's my Caesarea Philippi. That's her Caesarea Philippi. And as she said that, it hit me like a ton of bricks, and I couldn't get it out of my head all week. And we prayed and we said, you know what, next year, that there would be countless kids at this flagpole. And I said in my heart, you know, I always back away. She's crazy. I teach with a crazy, my colleague is crazy. I'll have kids come to my room. Yeah, is it, I had a girl this week, Mr. Lecce, is it a right, like she had me in AP last year and she just found, is it a right if I go online and um, listen to one of your podcasts and I'm like, how did you, what, what's going on? How did you find this? Mrs. Haas told me that I can go online and listen. And other kids have come in my room. Where did you find this? Mr. Haas said it. Mrs. Haas said it. Hey, thanks. 
But you know what I, you know what I do? Honestly, you know what I do? I hide. No, no, I wasn't, I wasn't saying it to be funny. I was saying it to be serious. I really, you know how many times I've hid from my call? Like, I'm in a school and I say, you know what? Oh, like separation of church and state, which is another issue, but in, in getting into that. But a lot of times I really do. I kind of hide. And I sit back and I say, I don't want to really influence these kids. It's not right for me to say things. But I'm at the point now, you know what? This is my Caesarea Philippi. When I'm in a classroom for those 42 minutes, I'll instruct those kids. You know, we'll do the American Revolution or whatever. But outside, if kids come to me 10th period when there's no other class going on, they want to ask me questions. You know what? Yeah, that's what I do. And if you want to go listen, go ahead. What's your Caesarea Philippi? I'm not saying, listen, I'm, I'm telling you because I'm the, I need to be more bold in my Caesarea Philippi. How about you? How are you doing in your Caesarea Philippi? Are you sharing your faith? Are you thinking of ways that you can reach people? In the, we're going to be talking about being a missional church, which we already are. We're doing a lot of wonderful things. We're going to be talking in January, though, gathering around different missions and ideas, burdens that are on your heart. The pastors have said this for years. What are things that are on your heart? What has God given you a burden for that you would like to see in this community? We have things going on with books and the shelter and food, and we have countless things going on for a small church. But I'd ask you, what about you? It's not enough to come here. We have to answer to God one day, and I'm telling you as one of your pastors, it's not enough for you to just come here on a Sunday and sit here and be a spectator. No, get out from the bleachers and get into the game. Stop watching and say, all right, I want to be a participant. Give me a pair of shoulder pads and a helmet, football season again, and let me get into the game. I want to get into the game, and I want to take on my Caesarea Philippi or the church's Caesarea Philippi. You know why? Wonderful things happen. It's kind of like that image, too. You know what I see, too? Did I ever tell you I like Lord of the Rings? Oh, I did? Oh, okay. I love Lord of the Rings, and it's like that scene. How many of you have seen all the Lord of the Rings movies? If you haven't, you're not a Christian. And the last one, right? The last one. You think I'm kidding. The last one. I'm serious on that one. The last one. The return of the king, and it's the final battle. Oh, and Aragon, son of Arathon, heir to the throne of Isildur, leads all the myriads, the men of Gondor, men of Rohan. And he, like, he kind of like, he's, he's on his horse and he's in front of them. I could give you the speech. I won't give it to you, but it's a pretty powerful speech, right? So he does this, but he's taking them to the enemy's camp. He has taken everybody to Mordor. That's where this guy Sauron lives. And I, cry, I was watching it this morning, and I was crying because I said, this is a picture of what the church is supposed to be, but we're not. We're not behind the gates. We're going to pound the gates of hell and pound and pound and pound unrelenting contenders. That's who we are as the church. And let me ask you, I'm almost done. Forget the rest of that. I'm just skipping around in my sermon now, okay? Let me ask you a question because I wrote down some questions that I, I think I should go over this. I want you to think about something. As I was pondering this during the week, I'm ruminating on this. I said, our church has been, how many years has the church been around? Even over there, the white church. God bless the white church. God bless those people over there. God bless them, but God bless the fact that we're not there anymore. I just love coming in here. I love that little building, right? Yeah, I'll be good, okay? <laughs> I want you to think about something. Just, just in, in light of this, you know, this is our day. Peter had his day. Matthew had his day. Mark, Mary's, they all had their day. And they had their legacy. This is our day. This is your day to go out into your Caesarea Philippi and make a difference for the kingdom of God. 
It's not just the pastors and the clergy. No, it's every single one of us. We all have spiritual gifts. What are you doing with them? What are you doing with them? And this is what I was thinking. If you raise your hands on this, okay? Raise your hands. I just thought about how many people have come into the doors, that white church down the road there, and this, how many years have we been here? Maybe six years, five or six years? Five years, okay. I should probably know that. Um, how many people who have been beaten up or messed up, have made mistakes, how many people have found grace in this building or that building down there? Let me give you a list, ready? Raise your hand. If the, wait a second. <laughs> Bad students. Raise your hand if this is you. How many of you, just, I'm going to give you a bunch of questions. Raise your hand. Let's look around afterwards. How many of you met Jesus, either here in the other building over there? How many of you had marriages that were rocky and were reconciled, either here or in the other building down the road there? How many of you learned how to pray here, city on a hill? How many people were in a crisis? Your family was in a crisis, but, you know, something happened here, that God used people here. How many people who didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit discovered spiritual gifts here at City on a Hill Community Church? How many people went through the agony of divorce? You found hope here, here. How many people who suffered a heartbreaking loss found comfort here? How many people who struggled with an addiction or substance abuse found healing here at City on a Hill Community Church? How many people who were confused at a key moment in their life found guidance for a fundamental decision from God right here? How many families and parents baptized a child here and saw Kidmo and Ignite pour Christ's love into their family and their lives here? Look around at the amount of hands. Some of you aren't raising your hands. That's okay. But I want to ask you this. This is the final thing. How, now, the question is, do you know anybody? Do you know somebody that doesn't need a God like that? Who doesn't need a God like that? There are myriads of people out there in your Caesarea Philippi that could have a testimony and come in here and share it about how the love of God reached them, about how you reached them with the gospel. You were an agent of change because I tell you, there was a carpenter and he stood there 2,000 years ago and he said, on this rock, I will build my church in this terrible area that's like Las Vegas. Oh, don't you worry. He stared at that rock and said, this is where I'm going to build it. And he also says to us, I'm going to build it here city on a hill community church who wants in on that because i do it's not just a message to be inspired about i'm always passionate i always cry we know that okay but this isn't hear my heart this is really a message this is it's a this is a dire time for us to pick up our swords to pick up our armor and really get in the battle and really see what's at stake for other people out there. We weren't met, meant to be a little silly culture that just kind of sits here and we huddle together. Please, let's eradicate the, that notion, that idea. You can come up, please. The music team can come up. Let's realize our destiny and who we are. Please. It's time for us to go on the offensive. No more sitting back and letting the enemy come after us and our families and our finances and our health. It's time to put a stake in the ground and say, these are the promises of God. I'm standing on them. God, you are going to use me in my Caesarea Philippi. I believe in your power, not by my might, not by my power, but by your spirit, that you would use every... And Lord, I pray right now, as we come to this table, Father, I would pray that everyone would truly believe that. 
Father, may this be a message that people truly believe in their heart. May they want this. Lord, put a fire, a forest fire inside of every heart in this place. Those cold places. Some hearts, Lord, need to beat again. Lord, you're the great physician. You know exactly what needs to be done. You know where the scalpel needs to go. I ask that everybody would jump on board and they would get into battle. Lord, I don't want to see a picture of people sitting on the sidelines and missing out on what you have for them. I don't want people to go the rest of their days, Lord. Lord, you tell us to number our days. Lord, I don't want us to go the rest of our days, people to go the rest of their days and miss out on what you had for them. Lord, I ask that you would put burdens in our hearts even now. Lord, put missions in our hearts. Give us things, ideas. Wake us up in the middle of the night. Give us dreams. Give us visions of what you want. But Lord, pour out your spirit. Pour out your spirit like you did centuries ago in America. Lord, we ask that question, can it happen again? And so many say no. So many say, look at the depravity out in your Caesarea Philippi. And I would say, Lord, you are still the miracle maker. You are the rock of the ages, Lord. You are our rock. You are our fortress. You are our shelter. You are our light. You are our salvation. Oh, may your spirit just blow across this island right now. I ask for hurricane winds, gale force winds to blow. Oh, spirit of the living God, hear our cries. Hear our prayers, Lord. Open the blind eyes, open the ears, that people that are deaf, people that are so far from you, astound us, Lord, with your power. I want to see your power move again like it did in the Acts Church. And Lord, as it moved in England in the 1700s, and as it moved in America in the 1700s, and as it moved in America in the 1800s, and now it moved in America in the 1900s, Lord, may it happen again here. Come against unbelief, Lord. Give us big faith to believe in a great, big, majestic, holy God. Give us your passion for your church. Lord, may it spread, Lord. Lord, you lit me on fire with this word, Lord. And I just let it burn out, Lord. But I ask that, other, really, Lord, that people would catch it. What we as a church, what we want, what leadership, what we want, what we're asking for. Only you can make it happen. Our words are feeble without you. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.